Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning. It's great to see you. Would you welcome to the stage with me Andy and Heidi Wilson and Zach and Hillary Pulliam as well. They're going to come and help out today. We are going to take some live Q&A at the end of this message. So if you've got questions at any time throughout the service, you can submit them either on the church app. There's a Q&A section under the media and resources section. Or you can also go to gotoquest.org slash ask on your phone right now on the web. You can get on the free Wi-Fi here and submit a question that way as well. I'm going to uh, talk just a, a brief amount here to kind of set some things up and introduce, and then I'm going to let them do most of the talking. And one of the reasons uh, uh, we're going to talk about what we're doing today is because we've been in this refresh series talking about how we can have a great 2017 and beyond. And the topic we're going to talk about today, I think, is one of the biggest areas of worry in many of our lives. And it is also one of the biggest areas of fights in marriage and stress in relationships, uh, in family. And it's the topic of finances. So we're going to talk about refreshing your financial place in life. And some of you may think, well, that's not a spiritual enough topic for Sunday morning. But let me, let me just challenge that a second. There are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. There are a few less verses than that on faith. But the Bible has 2,000 verses on money. In fact, 15% of what Jesus teaching is, has to do, what Jesus teaches has to do with money in our life. And Jesus says things like this. He says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Meaning, the way you handle money determines to a great deal how much God, God's intended blessing can be realized in your life and make your life into the blessing you want it to be. And God's very clear in his word to us about wanting to prosper us financially. And that may look like different things in different cultures, but, and it doesn't necessarily mean everything, everybody's going to be multimillionaires. Although I have to say in our culture in particular, right here, the people who are here today, probably a large number of you, many of you would be multimillionaires. If not already, you will be someday if you would handle your money according to the way God designs you. Uh, instructs us to do that if you'll follow his ways. Here's what, here's what the Bible says about when we follow his ways. It says in Deuteronomy 15, For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. And what that's saying to us is that God wants prosperity financially for you. He wants you to live a life where you're not where you're the one loaning the money. You're not the one taking on the debt. And through that as well, following his commands, he wants to allow your prosperity to gain you positive good influence to make a difference in this world. But when we talk about it like that, it's also easy for us to get into the culture's trap of greed and to be driven by wealth for the wrong reasons. And God also says about money that he wants true freedom for our lives. He wants... He doesn't want money to drive us. He doesn't want it to control us. He wants money to be something in our lives that brings peace, it brings contentment, it brings great joy to our lives as He intends it to do. Hebrews 13 says it this way, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. There's this essence of financial peace that He wants us to have in our life. And that's one of the reasons I've asked the Wilsons and Pulliams to come and talk with us today because they have proven testimonies of going from a place of financial stress and drivenness and, and challenges in their life to a place of much greater peace because they've learned how to handle money and think about money more like God wants us to think about it and handle it. And they've prospered because of it, uh, not just financially, 
but also in their marriages and in their family lives and the joy of the impact that God has been doing through them as they've learned more and more how to handle money the way God wants them to handle it. Uh, they've also led Financial Peace University for a number of years, and so they've got the experience of leading numerous individuals, maybe some of you, through that, fam through that process to also a greater peace, a financial peace and prosperity in their lives. So uh, just, let's start with just give us a quick snapshot of where you were and where God's brought you now because of what you've learned. Sure. Um, Heidi and I started our financial turnaround just a few years ago. It's better to start earlier than that. Obviously, you have more time to grow your money, but um, the key is to start. We weren't really ignoring our money situation, but what we were doing was we were, at the end of the month, seeing where our money went um, instead of the other way around. We never got into serious debt. But we did play the credit card games, 0% credit cards, 90 days, same as cash. This credit would come in, credit card would come in, you know, balance transfer zero. So we transfer one credit card balance to the other credit card, that kind of thing. Not smart things. Um, in 2010, I was at a business conference, and on the way back to the airport, the driver had Dave Ramsey's radio show on. So we talked about that. It was really my first exposure to Dave Ramsey. <clears throat> on my flight home, I, I thought about what we had talked about and what Dave was saying on the radio. Started to really start to click that we really weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing um, as far as financially. So when I got home, I got Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover. We signed up for the spring class in 2011 that the church was hosting. And that really began our turnaround financially. Yeah. Like Andy said, we were spending everything we were making. And um, typically that was putting it on credit cards. And then at the end of the month, which was next month's money, <laughs> paying for the previous month um, expenses. And we weren't saving for college. And we had two kids to save for college for very quickly. And so when he shared with me, hey... Um, I've heard of this. Let's let's go and uh, and check it out. And so, I, yeah, I was willing. Um, and so, um, we started budgeting and we started telling our money where we wanted it to go. And um, at the beginning of each month, and say, okay, here's what we're going to spend on this, this, and this. And we actually started saving money. And early on, we saw results, and um, it inspired us to keep going. And when we felt, or when we had saved four months of our income, it felt like this weight off my shoulders. I was able to relax. It just, um, this huge weight just came off of me, and um, I'm sure Andy noticed that. <laughs> I'm much more fun to be around uh, <laughs> when I'm relaxed. Um, and it really improved our relationship in every area, not just financially, but just improved our relationship tons. And so um, I highly recommend <laughs> getting your finances in order because it affects your life in far more ways than you'll ever even realize. So um, how Zach and I kind of got connected is... Um, is, is through Quest, but we had started our relationship, our, our marriage, and we never really talked about how we were going to handle money. I guess we kind of got married and just assumed the other person would handle money exactly like we would handle money. And that was not the case. Um, we grew up very differently with very different outlooks on money and very different ways of handling it. And we both brought that to the table and it caused a lot of friction, a lot of, um, things that weren't talked about, but also things that we did talk about that caused problems. And we never really had a healthy way to be able to come together, to be able to kind of overcome that. So we became almost like paralyzed or stuck financially, but also it bled into we were stuck relationally and spiritually as well too, because we weren't really giving or doing the things we wanted to do as a couple. And so when, um, one church service, I had come alone for some reason. I don't know if Zach was out of town or whatever, but um, when they advertised the financial piece, 
I'm like, oh, we're doing that. Like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. So I just kind of told him, like, we're going to church early next week and we're doing class together. Um, he didn't really know much beyond that. So, um, but he was awesome. I mean, he jumped right in and it, there was a lot that we had to turn and talk through and stuff through the class, but it was definitely worth it because, um, we finally had a way to talk about it, even though it sometimes was tenacious, it was still healthy tension, if that makes sense. And so our relationship has grown, our family dynamics in terms of like parenting and, and just everything has grown. Um, I feel like we're, um, a really nice model for some of the people in Zach's family, as well as my family, who my family doesn't, I mean, this is foreign land to them in terms of like being Christians or connect biblical, following biblical principles. So for us to be able to come together like this and to reach more people in our family has been amazing. Yeah. So when you're married to a strong woman, sometimes she says, we're doing this. You just say, okay. (laughs) Sam, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But, um, uh, so yeah, so we went to Financial Peace. Um, it was awesome. You know, we, we went into Financial Peace with the, you know, normal good debt that every young couple is supposed to have. You know, you got car loans, you got student loans, uh, mortgage, <clears throat> um, all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, we felt like we were moving forward, but technically we really weren't. Um, coming out of Financial Peace, uh, we were able to, um, all our debt is paid off. Cars are paid off. Um, we have, you know, emergency funds in place. We have savings for college uh, going. We have our own retirement set up. And like Ross said, that um, people in this room could very well, you know, represent the wealthy millionaires. Before we had gone to Financial Peace University, we had no opportunity of major life, future lifestyle. And... We sat down and worked out our numbers, and we are currently multimillionaires. We don't have the money right now. However, what we set up through Financial Peace University, as it plays out, we're, we're millionaires. Cool. Here's, here's one truth. In, in our drive for wealth, we often find ourselves today equating wealth with what we're surrounded by, the kind of house we live in, the cars we drive, how often we can eat out, where we can go out to eat, and all the entertainment stuff. And the results for many, even in New Albany, Westerville, are we are living financially stressed lives without ever being truly wealthy. Even though we have the trappings of wealth all around us, we are not wealthy. Wealth is not determined by how many nice things you have or the lifestyle you can keep afloat. Wealth is how much more money you have in the bank, how much greater your net worth is than your debts in life, period. That's what it is. So we're going to deal today with a key truth, that financial freedom has less to do with how much money you make, and it has much more to do with how much money you spend and how much money you save. And there's a spiritual and biblical practice the Bible talks about. It talks about it primarily in agrarian terms because it's talking to an agrarian culture. In Proverbs 27, it says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. In other words, what it's saying to an agrarian world is know your finances. Pay attention to them really carefully. For riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, the new grass appears, and the grass on the hills is gathered in. The lambs will provide you with clothing, the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. And it doesn't say anything about the men there, so they're left out. (laughs) What it's saying, though, in other words, Proverbs is telling us when you learn to budget well, you will have enough of all the right and good things in life. But if you don't budget well, you will likely live a life using everything up that you have and always feeling a little bit short. Even if you're not in debt, you'll live like Heidi and Andy talked about. At the end of the month, you've got nothing left and it's all gone and you're not meeting your goals in life. 
Budgeting is not something even that we ever grow out of, for that matter. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how long you've been out of debt or how far you are out of debt. A lack of budgeting, according to the Bible, will always limit your realization of God's good plan for you because you don't pay careful attention to what He's given you and how He wants you to use it. So with that in mind, let's, let, let's, let's just throw a question back to you guys. Uh, in your own lives and in your own experience, what have you seen as the major emotional thought barriers, whatever kind of barriers to even getting involved in budgeting? Um, I think it, for a lot of people, it's they don't want to actually look at how they're spending their money. You, you know, maybe it's vices like gambling or something like that, that if they, they don't look at it, um, it's, it's not there. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's just gone or you know even like lack of communication or they don't want their spouse to see how they're spending their money mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. not or, us or a paralysis kind of situation where you're so overwhelmed by where you are and where you've gotten yourself that it's just easier to kind of not deal with it um or maybe even a perfectionistic kind of aspect where you feel like you can't it has to be perfect, and it's never going to be perfect. Um, it's one of those things you just got to kind of get in there and dig it out and figure it out. Yeah. So I don't know what you guys... Yeah, perfection is not the goal. It's the process. I mean, when we started it, it's, it, it takes time. Um, but, yeah, bad habits, I think that would keep us... from if you, if you know you have bad habits and you don't really want to give them up or you don't want to deal with them... But I'll tell you, it's much better to plan, and and there is hope to get over those bad habits. <laughs> so there's a, num- a number of myths that we ta- that we identified as we were going through preparation, and one of those myths is budget budgets restrict spending. What do you what do you? I, I would say, um, if the board budget scares you, use savings plan. Call it something else. Call it a saving plan because really that's what it is. And you're telling your money where to go. You know, I used to feel guilty spending money. If I went to Starbucks or something and, gosh, I really probably should have spent that money on something else that was more important than my coffee or, you know. So, um, but now that we have a spending plan, in the plan is some free money for Andy and I, just fun money that I put in my purse at the beginning of the month and, if I want to go to Starbucks or if I want to stop at Panera for a souffle or something, I don't feel guilty anymore. It's guilt-free spending because I, that's for me to do with whatever I want. And that's the same with every other line item on our budget. You know, that is spending that's there. We've planned it. If I want to buy clothes, great. I have money in my, in my clothing budget. You know, it, it's guilt-free. It's, it's um, actually not restricting at all. You, you choose what you want to spend it on. So that leads to the second myth, uh, budgets squeeze the fun out of life. (laughs) Well, I think when we went through this process, um, that was maybe what Zach was thinking about this. I was thinking the budget was going to be fun because I like figuring that out and having a plan and knowing about it. He was not all about that. Um, But what was really cool for us as a couple is we had kind of talked about going and visiting my family in California, and we just always, it was always talk. And we just never seemed to be able to get them funds together to be able to do it. It didn't ever really seem like it could be a reality with the debt we had and other things. And while we started this process, um, within a year or so, um, we were able to make that trip out there. And it was guilt-free. And it was literally we earned it. We worked hard for it. We didn't feel guilty about any of it. We actually came back and spent less money on our vacation we budgeted for. So you know, we had the opposite kind of effect where people come back from vacation and kind of have that like hangover where you, you know, you're coming back to work, but then also you have the credit card bills that you have to pay off. Um, so we went through this process and there was still time for fun. There were still things that we got to do and enjoy, but, and we felt good about it. And the thing that we're doing right now that our families, just cause we are at a certain place in this process is we've been having a lot of fun lately with giving too. And that's been a lot of fun with our son. There's been a couple opportunities where we have a 20 minute commute in the car. And, um, the, a couple times there's been, we listen to the river radio in the car and there's been like, you know, 
where they have people call in to like donate money for different things. And mom, can we please call in? You know, there's 10 more minutes and they want to get, and we've done it every time that he has felt in his heart that he's wanted to participate in that we've called in and we've donated. Um, and sometimes a lot of money and sometimes just a little bit of money, but the fact that we get, my son gets to participate in that and it's joyful. I don't stress about it. It's part of, it's the first, you know, it's one of the biggest things that we make sure as part of our budget. Um, and to get to have that, that moment with him about how our family is about giving, we might not live in an amazing, cool house or have everything perfect, but we are givers and that is really important. And that's one of the biggest reasons we wanted to go through this. And the last time we did it, we donated a hundred dollars and a hundred dollars to a seven year old is like, Whoa, you donated a hundred dollars, mom. And the funny thing though is someone who makes three, $4,000 a month, sometimes a hundred dollars is a lot of money to them too, when they don't budget. So, you know, it gives you some perspective about what you can do with your money. Yeah. I think that's a kind of a trap that people fall into once they, you know, get successful in life as they say, well, you know, we've, we've got a pretty good handle on our money. We don't, you know, we make enough. We, you know, they got a good idea of how we're spending our money, but they don't actually sit down and pre-budget every month to tell your money where you go. And when you're telling your money where you to go, you can actually make it go to fun things, yeah. <laughs> which I was scared of. But when you're telling it, you can make it do fun things. And like Hillary said, our first line item is tithing. Um, you know, there's 2,000 verses on money, and God says, bring your my whole tenth, tenth of your first of your earnings to me to store in my storehouse. That's pretty simple, you know. But I think a lot of people, they tithe at the end of the month and, like, feel good. Oh, yeah, I gave them that much money. Well, you're supposed to be giving this amount of money. And I think for us, that was a priority to put as the very first budget on our line item and then go from there. I, I know for us, um, we did the same thing when we started budgeting. Um, I mean, before budgeting, it was, well, whatever we had left at the end of the month. Well, at the end of the month, there really wasn't much left. So <laughs> having that tithe be at the bottom isn't really a great idea. So flip it upside down, put the tithe at the top. And I'll be honest, the first couple of months that we did that, it felt like we got a raise. We, mm -hmm. And we were making the same amount of money, but because we had a plan and because we were tithing 10%, God somehow made it work. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, test him on it. It's, <laughs> it's unreal how... Um, it, 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 it works, and it, it did. It felt like we had a raise. It was like, wow, where did all this money come from? We are able to spend it on the things that we have in our budget, and we had money left over for savings as well. It's really uh -huh. cool. So there's another budgeting myth. Budgeting leads to fights in marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it will. Yep. <laughs> but but it, even if you're not budgeting, you're still fighting because... If, if you're not talking about it, it's still there. You Something know? called passive aggressive, right? <laughs> yeah. You're just not sure. talking about it, but it's yeah. still aggression and fights right. going on. Yeah, it's, it's still there. So it's much better to work together and work out a budget. Mm -hmm. um, your marriage will become stronger than ever if you do this together okay. in a marriage. Okay, here's a big one. Budgeting is for geeks and number lovers. Not fun lovers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on, you're the geek of all geeks, right? Oh, yeah. We got a CPA sitting up here, a type A over here. No. <laughs> I am not. I, all right, so when she said we came from two different realms, like, we were complete opposites on how we handled money. I was that guy like, oh, look at my ATM receipt. I just balanced my budget. You know, <laughs> I just balanced my bank account. That was the way I handled money. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But there is hope for you out there. So you can't change. Come a little bit to the dark side. They'll come a little bit to the light side. We'll all meet in the middle. You know? But um, so I hated like the just number crunching, penny pinching, like counting all the numbers. And for us, it works out really well because she is very detailed and like wants to know all the numbers match up and pennies work out. And I'm and sit down and say, this is our main goal, where we want to go. This is how we need to move our money over the next course of however long to get to that point. So, 
For yeah. us, that works out like that. Yeah, and that's what you learn in the class is how to use your strengths. And so everybody kind of approaches or thinks about money or manages it differently, and it's not bad or good as long as you're doing it. Um, and so I think that was huge for us is to take that I do like to do see the details and have the spreadsheets and all that <laughs> stuff. And he is the bigger bigger picture thinker and can kind of get me to not worry about every cent and things like that. So I think that's a huge piece of it is that you bring your personalities and your strengths to the table and you're able to come together to be able to realize this in a very healthy way. And if you're single and you're wondering how to go through this, find an accountability partner. Find someone that you could do this together with and help each other. Um, Preferably not the person you go shopping with on Saturday afternoons. Right, yeah. <laughs> not the person you go find all your shoes with and things like that. Yeah. It can be complicated because I know you guys, are, you're a CPA and you love spreadsheets, but it can be simple too. So like, Absolutely. Like, yeah, so show us a simple yeah, so example. So if you can bring up the slide of the percentages. So these are Dave Ramsey's recommended percentages. Um, so... If you're not budgeting yet, I would say look back on the last month, plug your numbers in, and see what your percentages are. You may find out that you're spending, in, our, in Heidi and my case, we were spending a ton of money on food. Um, you're supposed to spend around 5-15%. When you're trying to get out of debt, obviously you're going to have to lower some of those numbers up above um, to be able to pay off your debt. But once you get where you're paying zero money to debt, you can fit your percentages within those within those ranges. And some, I know that one of the other questions that I had for you guys too in this whole process was, I mean, you know, you think about all the savings, you think of all that stuff, and you start thinking in the past, you started thinking about spreadsheets, complicated spreadsheets to keep track of what was being saved for each one of this. But that's really simple, and you've got a good example of that. Yeah. Um, Dave Ramsey released a, an app or a, a website um, called everydollar.com. And on that, it's, it's a free website and free app that you can track your money in case he also talks about money envelopes. I know a lot of people don't like to carry a lot of cash around. This one over here. Um, so you don't have to carry the cash around. You use your debit card at the store when you go in and go shopping. Um, you go to Kroger and spend $50 on your groceries. This, this budget here m matches her Excel budget. So when I'm out shopping or she's out shopping at the store, when we get back to our car, we, you look at the receipt, you type in, you know, $50 on groceries or whatever, and then you assign it to, the to your grocery category. If you're at Meijer, they also allow, like, if, if you buy groceries and shoes, you spend $100, you can split that between multiple accounts. So it's really easy to keep track of you spent $50 on clothing and spent $50 on uh, groceries. So when you get near the end of the month, you can pull that up and say, I have $75 left at the grocery store, or I have $5, Five. Do $5 left to spend <laughs> at the grocery store. Um, and so, you know, you have to make, you have to try to stick to that and make your adjustments. This is the free version. Uh, he also has a, a paid version that's $99. Usually they offer vouchers, so usually it's, uh, it's $99 a year. Um, but usually you can get 13 or 14 months for that price because he offers vouchers occasionally. So what you do here is you tie in your bank accounts um, to this, and when you put money, well, when you spend money, a day or two later, it will show up there that um, your debit card, you spent $5 at Kroger or $10 or whatever. You can drag that over into your uh, grocery category. So you just drag from basically your accounts. You tie it into your accounts. You drag from the right side, just like they're doing there, school sports, et cetera, et cetera. Just drag them into the categories. So this links directly to your all your accounts, so using your username and passwords for your uh, bank or whatever um, you can just drag it in and we direct deposit our check and we have a lot of accounts that are already set up um, are basically savings funds sinking funds so when those come on into here as well um, there's a slide on that too earlier yeah, all your transfers, out of order there all your go. transfers come in 
come into every dollar and then you can just assign them to the categories. So if you go back to the account slide, we have like 12 accounts set up with our bank. Um, they don't charge us anything, it's a credit union actually. Uh, so we have sinking fund accounts set up for vacations. So just like Hillary said, we, we plan for, we know we're gonna take vacations. Um, we plan for those, we figure out how much money, how many vacations we're taking, how much money we're gonna spend on each of those, roughly, and start saving for that. Or the Christmas club, we know Christmas comes in December, we're all through that. Um, hopefully none of you are still paying for Christmas or a couple months ago. But we plan for that, and when Christmas comes, what's in that account is what we have to spend on Christmas, and that's what we do. Um, and you got your big Mac fund? What? Got your big yeah. Mac fund? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, MCD I is yeah, not yeah. MCD yeah. is not McDonald's. Um, <laughs> it's a CD. It's a CD. <laughs> so what are some other money tips that you, that you would have just for today? For I, I would start by saying um, personal finance and budgeting it is 80% behavior and 20% um, head knowledge. So it's 80% behavior, meaning much the biggest piece of it is what you're doing, what you're actually doing. I know for us, um, when we started budgeting, our biggest behavior change was to cut back on eating out. Um, when we looked back, on, and I don't know why this didn't dawn on us before we budgeted, but um, we were eating our kids' college fund. I mean, seriously, <laughs> we, we were eating out a lot. And um, it's amazing how much good food you can eat from the grocery <laughs> um, without spending like you do when you eat out. And so we started changing our behavior. I mean, we were like, okay, we are not eating out like we've been. And, and we made drastic changes um, in that area. And we also started talking about finances more, talking about, oh, what are we spending this on? And... And our kids picked up on that. I mean, our kids picked up on the eating out thing immediately. And one of them came up to me shortly after we started this budgeting and, uh, and says, Mom, are we poor? I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is, this is how drastic this, this looks to our children. Right. Well, it's interesting hearing you say that because your kid... When you listen to that, it's like your kids, when you weren't managing your money, when you were overextending yourself and not being in charge, they thought you were wealthy and like well off and we're good. But then all of a sudden when you start talking about money and be more responsible with it and, and they thought you were poor, which kind of goes to the, to our culture and our society that if you are overextending yourself and pushing the limits, you know, you have perceived wealth. Um, so you guys took charge of making sure that you were teaching your kids what it means to be wealthy, what it means to have financial freedom and, and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Like generationally, what you've just impacted there mm -hmm. is huge. And so I think the biggest thing is just challenging yourself to be radical, to change things up, to do things differently. And when we were talking and planning for this, I had like an example where I had $12 from selling some books back. And for some reason, I kept this $12 for like months and months, even though I'd probably spent thousands and thousands of dollars on my debit card over the month at Kroger or whatever. For some reason, I never wanted to give up my $12. Like it was meaningful to me just to have money. But it is. When you hold money and you have money, it means something way more than when you're just swiping a card. It, you're not as attached to it. It doesn't mean as much to you. And so... You know, sometimes people look at it and they're like, well, I don't want to do the envelopes or the envelopes are awkward and it's kind of hard to do in our society where we just need to run in and get things. But try it for a month. See what it means to you to hold money, to have to pay for things for money, to inconvenience yourself to do things with money. It makes you think about it more. It makes you just do things differently. Um, you don't have to do it forever because, you know, Andy already gave you ways to do it electronically to have those sink funds. But try it and see what happens to, like, your thought process. Yeah, it's really true that the cash, and like Hillary said, just try it for a month or two. You don't have to keep going with it because you can hook up your debit cards and, and do some cool things like that. But McDonald's did a credit card study and they found that people spent 47% more when they used credit cards than when they used cash. And that's because you don't feel it. You don't feel it when you swipe a card, but there, you actually feel it when you spend money. I mean, people using credit cards would supersize more. They would buy add-on, add-on, you know, sundays and desserts or whatever. And um, it, 
makes a big difference using cash. You actually feel that spending, and so you're much more likely to curb your spending if you use cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, you feel like a baller with a lot of cash in your pocket. You feel like a baller with a lot of cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> feel like you need to wear a money belt. No. <laughs> um, so uh, what other money hacks? Well, money tips. You know, when, so for, uh, maybe this is a better question. How long did it take for you to get past the pressure of doing a budget to the point where it felt like freedom to you? Maybe, uh, four, we'll maybe four months for us, about four, four to six months, somewhere in there. Because mm-hmm. the first month, I mean, you're never going to get it totally right. We still adjust our budget every six months at least. Um, but the first month... Yeah, we kind of kind of got an idea. The second month, oh yeah, let's think about this, this, and this. The third month, oh, this is really kind of working. And the fourth month was so by six we were like, this is really awesome. So that's how it worked for us. I think that's kind of an excuse that people use a lot of times to not do a budget. Is it like, oh, I'm gonna blow it? (laughs) You're right. You're gonna (laughs) blow it. Like first three, four times, you're gonna totally mess it up and you get better at it though so um and even if you're close I think for you're us, better than you were yeah like, absolutely yeah i think it was about the same time frame four to six months yep. where we really turned it in mm-hmm. so we have some questions came in um start with this one what was the toughest thing you had to give up mm-hmm. when you started budgeting or co- having a conversation between you and your spouse on different priorities. <laughs> I would, yep. I'll say one for Andy. <laughs> Wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Next hardest thing question. for Andy was, was our clothing <laughs> like budget. Getting getting oh. through our clothing. Surprised me. But okay. <laughs> I, I thought she was going to say electronics, but that was well, very tough. Yeah, but but we still save up for them. Yeah, they're, they're a part of our budget. But the coolest thing is you kind of choose. You choose what you want to give up versus what you don't. I'm not willing to give up vacations. So our vacation budget's up and I'll buy this much clothes so I can, you know, over a few months' time, we'll save enough to be able to go on vacation and I buy less clothes. Stuff like that. Did you have... Oh, no, you go first, please. I I mean, (laughs) I hate to cook, so ours was just like convenience of just like grabbing food and we didn't really eat out that often but we definitely try to commit to like eating out as little as possible um just with kind of like where we are and what we're trying to accomplish and so that to me is always painful every month it's like oh, i don't want to it probably wasn't giving up anything because uh, i didn't really didn't really give up a whole lot it was just more of i had to take responsibility yeah. Yours was more that the was impulse. The thing, is stop the impulse buying. Yeah. Was Yours was more impulse. So what do you do if your spouse isn't on the same page? That's another question that was asked. <laughs> Get in line, woman. No. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> 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 joking. Um, Doesn't always be the woman. No, I'm kidding. Honestly, if, if you're the one interested in sitting down talking about it and you're not currently involved in the budget, all right. I'm going to be, like, not being sexist. I'm going to be male chauvinistic here. But overall, men are usually the ones that take care of the budget, right? Agree with me? Somebody shout out. Maybe not. It doesn't have to be, but let's say this. Um, The other person needs to be involved 100% because they have to feel that they have a share of voice in the relationship, number one. And number two, if you are the guy and you are the one taking care of your financial budget, Statistically speaking, she's going to outlive you, and she needs to know how you're handling your money. So, sorry, guys. I I think working on it together um, is huge. It will improve your relationship in far more areas, every area, um, if you work together. So, if if, if you are reluctant to work with your spouse, let it go. Try it. You know, give, give it a try. What, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, you might have a few arguments, but, but 
iron sharpens iron, you know, y you will work together and it will be stronger than ever before. And that's the biggest thing is communication. And if yeah, you are the huge. one that handles the budget and you want the other person to get involved, tell them you want them to get involved. Let them make a change to your budget. <laughs> you know, that's a hard thing. It's like, you don't want to, you worked out this perfect plan. Let them make a change and allow that change to stick. So just real briefly, how much time do you spend as a couple each month doing this? Well, for, for me, because I'm a total nerd geek and I just love Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, for me, I've got this amazing Excel spreadsheet that I set up and I like it. Um, probably three or four hours a month. But it doesn't have to be that I'm not complicated. I'm that whole time. <laughs> you know, I'm involved for maybe an hour or so. I do fill our money. I mean, we, we do it together, but I do get the cash from the bank. I bring the cash home. We fill a few envelopes. We have like five envelopes that we fill. Yeah, and so we do that part so together. You actually do some debit, some cash still. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just because you well, believe in that power of cash or? Yeah, the big, the big cash, well, the big cash we do is each of our fund money. Okay. Um, I use mine for lunches occasionally, and I'll use it for and the clothing. bake sale later. And clothing, <laughs> and yep. yeah, but yeah, I mean, we, we figured out what works for us, and that's the cool thing with budgeting is figure out what works for you, um, and you have that freedom to do that. I, I'd so. never pay gas at a, at a gas station. You know, I'd never pay cash. Yeah. I'd swipe your debit card at a gas station. Yeah, gas stations are cash is kind of a pain, yeah, yeah. and you really can't control how much. I mean, car needs gas. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? Um, we don't. I mean, ours is a little bit different because Zach has irregular income. So um, just the way he gets paid and stuff like that, we never really know. So for us, we start off and we project. And then what? why this has been so huge for us is we just keep talking about it throughout the month. So I don't know how to give like an hour. I can't give that. I mean, we maybe spend like 30 to 40 minutes at the beginning of the month, and then it's just a continual dialogue throughout the month to make sure we're in, going in the right path and to adjust things and stuff like that. So it doesn't take a regular income to make a budget? No. I would say if you have irregular... <laughs> I don't know how you would not. <laughs> Zach's self-employed, a contract worker, so the income is all over the map when people play, pay, but budget has been a lifesaver for you guys. Yeah. Yep, huge. Mm -hmm. so, and I know one thing they didn't say yet, that, that, that he started two businesses without debt because of getting into this process, which is completely different than how you would have done it in the past. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, with that, let me uh, invite the worship team back, and Jack and Vanita uh, uh, are going to come up. Uh, Jack and Vanita have been through this process. Thank you, by the way. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> Jack and Vanita have been through this process, and they've had an amazing story, particularly over the, just the last year that they're going to tell you uh, of how this has made a difference in their life. And the truth is really, for this whole process, is really encapsulated in a, I love a phrase that Dave Ramsey's put together. If you will choose to live like no one else right now, in other words, if you live like most of America and you're taking on debt and you're not doing a budget, you're having a bad plan, but if you'll choose to live biblical, if you'll choose to live wise now, you will later be able to choose to, choose to live like no one else in a true fashion. Uh, and they're going to tell you how God's done that through them. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Vanita. This is Jack, in case you didn't know who Jack was. Um, about now you know Jack. <laughs> um, about six years ago, we were, we, we were doing okay financially, but we weren't doing all the things that these people up here were talking about at all. In fact, we had, and, and we can say this now, Ben, we wouldn't have admitted it to anyone, and you don't have to admit it if you go to Dave Ramsey's class, but we had about $50,000 worth of credit card and car loan debt. So we were really, and, w and it was too much. You're paying all of that interest, and it was just getting out of hand. I was Living um, paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and I was the nerd or the budget person. Not, I mean, not budget, but I was the one trying to juggle 
what bills were get, being paid and using one credit card to pay off another credit card and his horrible habits and not communicating very well to him, but instead would just get frustrated when something would happen. We weren't communicating at all. Yeah, like bank fees, uh, overdrafts and all that. Like going to the ATM was like a roulette wheel for me. I'd just go up to it and go, and I K for $20. And that's how I, I was a frequent ATM user. Uh, just that's how I would, there was no budget. It was like, I need some money for lunch today. Go to the ATM Hope machine. Hope it's there. Yep. The, then we did uh, Dave Ramsey's class. I had actually started um, doing a prayer journal about a year before we did our Dave Ramsey class, and I had prayed, please, God, send something that will help us with our finances. And I really feel like it was an answer to a prayer. They covered how it turns your life around. We learned to budget. We learned to talk to each other about money. Uh, we used Dave Ramsey's snowball method for uh, uh, bleeding away the credit card debt, rolling uh, credit cards into payments into credit cards. So like you pay $500 a month for this credit card and when that one was gone, you'd take that 500 and apply it to that one. Mm -hmm. And because you didn't have the payments here, you'd take whatever was gained and pile it into that one. A bunch of numbers, but. <laughs> yep. We also re, uh, restructured our car loans and paid them down immediately. And 14 months after taking Dave's class, we had no debt except our house, and it just completely changed our lives. And the yeah. <laughs> lives of our, it changed the lives of our family. Uh, we communicated with our kids. They were teenagers at the time, communicated that with them. They were part of it, understood what was they going on. They thought we were poor. <laughs> yeah, they actually sudden. pulled that, too. Uh, we were able to save for our kids' college. Uh, we helped them go on overseas school trips, taught them how to save yeah. for overseas school trips. We, and uh, we gave more to, we were able to, give more to our church, give more to family members who were in need. We were, because we knew how to do this emergency fund and have that, we became givers. Yeah, we also paid more towards our mortgage to pay that down more quickly. All the good things that Dave talked so tells us. So things were going good. And then? In 2015, the company I worked for lost a really big client and folded shortly thereafter. So I found myself uh, needing work. Now the type of work I do does lend itself to doing freelance work, so we did have that, but it was definitely going from, you know, nine to five job every day to every other week a few days, depending on the job. But we knew exactly what to do because we had a plan. We knew where we could cut from our budget, we knew exactly where our money was going and how to spend this suddenly cut almost in half money that we were making and we could make the adjustment. And there's just a huge amount of peace to that when something terrible happens to you that way because we had been practicing these things that the panel told you about. Yeah, for the f entire year of 2016, I didn't have regular income. And, but during that year, during 2016, God had told me actually long before this that we were going to go somehow, our family was going to go on a, a mission trip to Costa Rica. And when they announced um, the Costa Rica trip, it, and I said, oh, this must be the one we're going to go on. It was actually the month that Jack lost his job. And I'm like, ha, ha, God. But we were able to do it. We were able to go down there and, and, and give. And we found the money not only for him and me to go, but to take our daughter as well. Also during this time, uh, we noticed a crack in our family room wall and found out shortly thereafter that uh, one of the walls in the basement has collapsed like all of a sudden like, and uh, this is kind of frightening because that's what your house sits on. <laughs> Other than that, not a big deal. Uh, but we had an emergency fund, so we paid cash. It was several thousand dollars, but it got fixed and got fixed quickly. While, again, while he was looking for permanent work. Yeah. Um, we also had an opportunity. That, that, that during 2016 was the lowest amount of money that we made as a couple. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, so also during 2016, our youngest daughter was about to start her senior year of high school. She had the opportunity to go to Ohio State for her senior year, right, which is a really cool thing. Get college credit for your senior year of high school, free. Uh, but she had to drive there. And he had to be have a car so he could go to these freelance jobs and go look for work. I needed a car to go to my job, uh-oh. Well, we saw it coming, and we were able to, through Dave's plan and those little file folders uh, that Andy showed you, we were able to save up and pay cash for her a car. And she's 
going daily to Ohio State. All right, now we own four cars, flat out. No payments, nothing. Now, they're not Mercedes-Benzes, they're not new, they're probably about an average of 10 years old or older, but they run well. We do take care of them. Uh, the amount of money we put in them for monthly maintenance is just a fraction of what it would be if we were making car payments on four cars. So then we get to Christmas this past year, and we got a Christmas present. I got a job. Yay! <laughs> Let me, so the, the hitch of that is, though, I didn't get a job out of desperation. I was able, because of good planning and peace of mind throughout this process, not grab the first thing that just came along, but actually get the job I needed, mm -hmm. a really good job. During that year, we look back now at how much we also gave. I, during that year, picked up or uh, became a big sis through Big Brothers Little Sisters. I had no financial worries about being able to take her to COSI and do things with her because we were planning. We, as we mentioned, we went on the Costa Rica trip, didn't have to be concerned about that. And I had found during that time, so often I was reminded uh, with, with verses about being patient with God. And we now realize, uh, and I, I felt like God was teaching me that about his job, and we realize now that we couldn't have been patient. We would have jumped at the first opportunity, even if it was just, you know, slinging burgers, like, oh my gosh, we are in so much trouble. But we were able to be patient with God to find him the right job, and we really, really feel like we were blessed that way. So if, if you find yourself thinking about money uh, on a regular basis, that might be a leading to look at something like FPU. Um, you don't have to be married to take this. Uh, this is for anybody that needs to be more disciplined, uh, see what God's plan is for you financially as we talked about here. It teaches you so much more than just budgeting. There's, it teaches you about insurance, what are stocks and bonds, what's this, what's that. Dave teaches you all of these things and it turned around our life and this was our story and, and hope that inspires you a little. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Come stand with me. I hope that this year will be a year that you can unleash that uh, power of peace in your relationships and your own life in regard to finances. And I hope this year can be the year you can unleash the dream that God has placed in your heart to be generous, that he calls us to. He places it there and he calls us to do it. So would you stand with me? We're going to have one more worship song and then I'm going to invite you to prayer and dismiss for the day. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.